Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. All right. Hey, I want to welcome everyone to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I am your host here every week, Chris Flaming. And today I have the honor of welcoming Lauren Cadillac to the show. Since 2013, her law firm has been serving Texas with consistent, patient, and professional care, giving each client their attention and walking alongside them through each step in the legal process. Lauren, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, we're going to jump in and have some fun. So I'm sure you have an interesting history. Can you kind of take me through how you got where you are today with your practice? Sure. When I was working on my associate's degree at the tender age of 18, I started working as an an assistant to the assistant of a realtor. Okay. And the realtor, she was 27. She was beautiful. She was super intelligent and she was killing it. And I thought I could do this. I can't be as beautiful as she is, but I could kill it the way she is. And I could do this. And so um, I decided to go to real estate school. And by the time I was 19, I had a real estate sales license in Mm -hmm. Arizona. So then I sold real estate to get through college. And when I got out of college, I moved to Texas and I had, I started an MBA program and then I had a terrible, terrible car accident, um, was hit head on. I suffered a coma. I was in a coma for four days. I did have a brain injury. A coma is a brain injury, but I have a long-term brain injury. It's an auditory processing issue. Mm. So if anyone ever hears me ask them to spell a word, that is why it's because my brain will not, it cannot process what you're saying. It's I can hear you, but I'm sorry. Just need Mm -hmm. to spell it for me. And I had to learn how to walk again as a result of that accident. So I had always wanted to go to law school. When I was four, I decided I wanted to be the president of the United States. I no longer want to be the president of the United States. However, who does? does? Not a lot of people. Um, I did decide that I, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer. I knew that almost all presidents had been lawyers. And so um, because I was able to learn how to walk again, I thought, well, I could surely go to law school. It really can't be anywhere near as hard as what I just went through. And I was right. It wasn't anywhere near as hard as what I had just gone through. And in fact, it was quite fun and rewarding. When I came out of law school, I actually worked for AT&T. They had hired Mm -hmm. me to do contracts negotiations. And then when I set out on my own to establish my own firm, I guess just because of my real estate background, the fact I had been licensed in Arizona since I was 19, I got my license in Texas after the car accident while I was just sitting around healing. I figured I might as well. So real estate cases just started coming to me. Mm. And I quickly learned that if you're doing real estate law, if you're practicing real estate law, at least in Texas, you also have to be doing estate planning and probate 
they go like this. I mean, most Americans, our biggest asset is our home, mm-hmm. right? That is the wealth we're passing on to our children. And so they're so intertwined that I do estate planning and probate. And then also, I'm not a fan of taxes. I consider myself a proud American. We are a country established on the idea that we don't like taxes. And I go right along with that idea. And so um, I do property tax protests as well as a part of my practice and um, something that I find quite enjoyable. Okay. Yeah. That that would be really satisfying to help somebody get through that and get a win Absolutely. or, or yes. get some relief in some way. Okay. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. So what's maybe some advice if you could go back in time and counsel the younger you? What's maybe something that you wish you knew when you started out that you know now? Career-wise, absolutely nothing. Okay. Really, it's just personal life. And I would just tell younger me that I am loved. I don't need to seek it out outside of myself. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. That's uh, good. Yeah. Why? That's good advice. That's very good wisdom. I like that. Yeah. So uh, I, you kind of hit on this. Are there some areas of your practice that you're getting the most enjoyment out of right now? Maybe not an area of law that you're practicing, but just is there something you really enjoy about having your own firm, about running a business or something like that? Oh, there's so much. There, okay. Like the list is it's forever and a day. So I love the part of the reason I established my own firm is because I'm a single mother of two. I love the flexibility mm. owning my own business gives me. Mm-hmm. Okay. My son dropped me off at work today to take the car to go to a job interview. Mm. He'll come back after the job interview and I'll go take him home. Mm -hmm. And nobody will say anything about it because this is my business. It's my schedule. And I can really manage my time so that I'm spending it exactly how I want to be spending it. And that is an absolute luxury. And it's something you can only have if you run your own business. Mm -hmm. So that I think is the, the biggest for me, because I want to hang out with my kids. I didn't have kids to be at work all day and never see them, right? Right. However, in the actual practice, there are many things that I just love to do. So I do wake up every morning and want to go into my office. And I do wake up every morning and want to go to work. So even though I have this highly flexible schedule where I can make sure my kids are taken care of and those kind of things, I work a lot. Like, I mm-hmm. love to work. So <laughs> you can just do it when you want to. Yeah. Which is yeah. if you ask my children all the time. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Well, it, I'm guessing that your kids are either teenagers or close to, and if you have good relationships with them and they're teenagers, that's saying a lot. Oh, I do. I do. <laughs> uh, my 17 year old actually uh, was just calling now. He must've finished the interview already. I hope that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, We'll see to be, to be continued. All right. So what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have uh, about working with you or someone in your field or an an attorney in in general? I really think the biggest misconception is that um, that an attorney will coddle you. Okay. I don't coddle anyone. I don't even coddle my own children, right? Mm -hmm. I'm very blunt and honest. And if you are on the losing end, I will let you know. And I will Mm -hmm. say, you know, you do want to do this or you don't. This is the law. And here's how your facts apply. And I will be bluntly honest about Mm -hmm. where what that means to you. 
And a lot of people don't like hearing bad news, right? right. They don't want to hear that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one man had called me off of YouTube and he said, and I told him, you're you're wrong and you're not going to win. And here's why. And he said, oh, I watched all your YouTubes and I thought you were so nice. <laughs> I said, well, then you didn't really watch them, did you? And also, um, no, I'm a litigator. Like I, it, and, and it's not me being nice. I didn't write these laws, yeah. right? Like I'm not at, the, I'm not in Austin legislating, mm-hmm. right? I'm here just say reading them, interpreting them and applying them as well as my experience with how the judges rule on these things, right? I've yeah, been doing sure. it long enough to know in Dallas County, a judge will do this and Collin County, a judge will do this. And, you know, I know that. And that's mm-hmm. what you're paying me for. Not for me to be your best friend, right? not for me to, you know, oh, honey. And, and I don't know any lawyer's that aren't just, I mean, we're like surgeons, right? We're going to come in, we're going to do our operation and we're going to leave. Yeah. So. Yeah. And just like a surgeon would, they're going to be honest about your chances and this possible success rate and all that stuff. Yeah. Let's hope so. It would be right. You know, you (laughs) only go to a surgeon and he'll be like, oh, this is nothing. And it turns out it's like a a 16 hour surgery. Right. That would be. Uh, he would have lied to you. Right. Yeah. And and I don't, I don't lie. <laughs> yeah. So. We don't want to, no, we don't want to do that. No, not in a professional services type relationship for sure. So do you, along those same lines, do you have a typical or an ideal client that you like to work with yeah. either so, what kind of advice they're seeking or maybe a personality type or something like that? Well, I will say my favorite client type mm-hmm. of client to work with is another entrepreneur. Okay. And that's just because like we get each other, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know they're working at 10 PM doing some administrative blah, blah, blah. They know that I'm having to do things on Saturdays. You know, we understand the hustle, so mm-hmm. to speak. And so I also love watching their businesses blossom, right? Where I have a client who starts with me, maybe we establish the LLC mm-hmm. and then it goes, it goes, and then they're making five, 600,000 a year and then a million and, like that is so exciting for me, even though I'm not doing the work. It's like, oh, this is, you know, it's, it's really thrilling. So I love, love, love working with entrepreneurs, but I also, you know, in estate planning, you work with a lot of elderly mm-hmm. and I love working with elderly as well. I feel like uh, it's a big group that gets taken advantage of a yeah. lot, a lot. And whereas you and I, you know, we're at an age where if someone's trying to take advantage of us, we're going to move in such a way that we hopefully are going to figure it out before we get in too deep. But the older we get and, you know, the less worried we are about things, you know, I hope to worry less as I grow older, but I can see how that would also make me more vulnerable. So um, I do like working with uh, older folks as well. Yeah, there's a lot of satisfaction in kind of being their advocate or or Absolutely. acting out, looking out for their best interests. I can affiliate with that for sure. So let's dive into some maybe some details on some of the things that you specialize in. So what are the steps that are typically involved in a property tax protest? Or or maybe start by defining what a property tax protest is and then what's involved in it. Okay, so In Texas, we have a constitutional right to dispute the value the government has assigned to our real property and our business personal property. Okay. Okay? 
And this is true for commercial real estate as well. This is a constitutional right. And in my opinion, that means you need to do it. We, if we don't exercise our constitutional rights, just like our muscles, they will fall away, right? So what happens is every year, the government sends a notice of value to the taxpayer and the taxpayer then learns what the government's assessed value is. Why that's important is because that value is what you're paying property taxes off of. Mm -hmm. In most Texas counties, you're paying between two and 3% property taxes. So if your assessed value is 100,000, then you're paying about 2,000 a year, two to 3,000 a year in property taxes. So when you get this notice of valuation, your first step is to try not to pass out, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> especially over the last few years when this market has been inflated, yeah. I have wanted people like sit down when you open this thing, okay? Right. right. Even myself, like I make sure I am seated when I open my own home because yeah. it is always a leap. The second step then is to file a notice of protest with the county. When people hire me to do their property tax protest, I prefer to do that for them because that's where you select the arguments that you're going to be able to make. Mm -hmm. If you don't select those arguments, you cannot make them. And I am a litigator. I like to throw the spaghetti at the wall. I want to make all the arguments I can. I'm there to win. So that's why I like doing it myself. But you select the arguments you're going to make and you let them know you're protesting. Then they will send you a formalized hearing date, which is when you'll go in front of the ARB board. The ARB boards in Texas are a bunch of older folks who are retired. They've usually been real estate professionals in some capacity. They could have been mm -hmm. attorneys, mortgage lenders, whatever. But they've usually worked in the real estate industry and they're appointed for two years by a local judge. I don't know how you get yourself appointed. I don't know anything about that. Um, they can go for two years and then they have to take a two-year break and then they can go two years again. Okay. So the our board is usually three people. Again, they're usually all retired. And then there's appraisal district appraiser who goes to those board meetings. Before you go to the board, though, you are entitled to an informal hearing. Mm -hmm. So once you've sent that notice of protest, you can just go down to the CAD and informally meet with any appraiser that they, you know, whoever's next available and negotiate the value between them. Hmm. I used to do those back when I had very few clients. I do not do them anymore. I just go straight to the board. I usually tell folks, go to the informal on your own. And if you can't get the value you want there, then hire me, mm -hmm. right? Then let me take out the big guns and go fight with to the board, you know, show mm -hmm. the present to the board. But, you know, get get a taste of your your governmental process, so to speak. Right. And go try it out. I have a lot of clients who are like, look, I'm a busy professional. I don't get time. You know, just, you just yeah. do it. I don't care either way, but it's an interesting experience. Uh, so if you can't come with, to a conclusion in the informal, you then go to the formal or I go to the formal and we present evidence. We present the value we want where we think is appropriate. The county presents their evidence. And then the board decides the value. Okay. If you're displeased with that value, then we can do either an appeal or a lawsuit. And usually neither are worth it, but sometimes they can be. Okay. Um, so that's something, you know, we usually talk about afterwards. And, and most of the time, it's kind of just a suck it up buttercup type situation. Yeah, I could see that. But you, you, you made the attempt or you went through all the steps in doing that. And those, yep. those assessments come out yearly, right? 
Yes. Yeah, annually is when they come out. Yeah. Okay. So I, I like how you explained all the steps. That was very easy to understand. Now, I, I want to switch gears a little bit. You also um, have on your website that you assist with HOA disputes. Yes. So what are some things that you commonly see here? So HOAs are really big in Florida. Obviously, we have all these planned communities and uh-huh. this and that. So um, tell us a little bit about that. Not necessarily the process, but what you commonly see being disputed. Anything and everything. I do not understand a person who chooses to live in an HOA. We already have enough oppression from our government. (laughs) We have all these stupid rules from our government that we have to follow. And here you voluntarily join a board of strangers. The only thing that unites you is you like a location and you're gonna let them dictate what you do with your property. Okay, have fun with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm never shocked with the issues I see. Okay. Of an issue and I have seen it. I'm talking HOA not paying for repairs. They're literally legally mandated to do. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about HOAs getting liens against houses and foreclosing because someone didn't take their trash can back and then refused to pay the $50 fine for not pulling their trash can back. Sorry, I had COVID and I couldn't yeah. pull my trash can in because I was too weak with a fever. And yeah. now a year later, they're taking your house from you. Anything. I, so I, is that one, is that one probably the most absurd or maybe no, what, what what's the most not. absurd one that you think that you can remember that you've come across? I, I don't know, but it's not that. It, all, everything is absurd. Listen, you know who manages those HOA? is those retired people who have nothing to do but sit around and look out their window. So while you're at work, they're over here making a checklist of everything you've done wrong with your house. Yeah. Oh, I had one where the HOA pr- approved a paint color. So my client paints it. Once it's painted, the HOA says, you can't be that color. You need to pay to repaint it. Yeah. That's cute. Well, you said in writing that I could do this color. So you need to pay to repaint it. HOA. Right. How about if that? You yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I can tell you're, I could tell you're passionate about that, which would be good if someone had an HOA dispute to have you on yes. their side. Yes, totally. <laughs> okay. Um, I, do, I have written HOA, you know, uh, I have a client who's subdividing. So I, he's like, I need okay. to write the TNC. So when I have someone doing that, I give them advice, like, don't be that HOA, you know, Mm -hmm. let's make, let's make rules that like make sense for people, Mm -hmm. like no couches on the lawn. Right. Right. And I'm pretty sure like HOAs formed around, like people used to have couches on their patios or something. Right. And I'm pretty sure like the whole point of the HOAs was to prevent that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's fine. Let's prevent that. It's it also it makes sense to have a standard setback and you know not allow this aggressive type of tree or bamboo or what all those things those make sense. Fine. Let's do things that make sense. But if you're coming me to me to write your HOA, you know the 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 rules for your uh what the the area you're subdividing don't ask me to write in there that if you don't have your trash can back by 7 p.m. the night of trash day, then you get fined because I'm not writing that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's just asking for trouble, I think, in a lot of cases. All right. So you touched on this, Lauren, um, earlier when you were talking about things that you enjoy. So you were talking about how estate planning fits in with everything else that you do. 
So maybe you can elaborate on that, on how that component is so important for a client's well-being. Um, I run into this a lot with financial planning clients. You know, do they have an estate plan, their core documents, and have they thought about intelligently and, and about how they want to leave a legacy? So why is that so important in your opinion? Well, so to me, like the important part of an estate plan is not what happens after you die. Mm-hmm. Once you're dead, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, what are you going to do about it? Although I do tell my children often I will poltergeist them. I don't know if that's an option, but if it is and they upset me, that will occur. I will cut back and throw You dishes. You have to have one of those old TV sets to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So All that's it. That's a prerequisite. I'm going to go find one somewhere at some kind of garage sale just so I can follow through on that thread if I need to. But where it's really in the estate plan is the most important, in my opinion, and especially as a single human, is in the part that takes you to your death. That's your power of attorney. That's your medical power of attorney. That's your um, designation of guardian. God forbid you have Alzheimer's and need a guardian. Mm -hmm. That's the... Everything that leads up. Now, I rest easy at night because I know, even though I don't have a spouse, I have these documents. If anything happens to me, my paralegal happens to be my best friend and my POA, and she knows exactly where these documents are. Anything happens to me, she grabs them and she takes care of my business Mm -hmm. the way I would have taken care of my business. That, to me, it's like... Maybe people don't contemplate what would happen if I'm in a coma and I need medical decisions made for me Mm -hmm. and I don't have children that are over 18 and I don't have a spouse. Well, what will happen is they'll call your mom. And I personally haven't spoken to my mom in 22 years. Mm -hmm. She is the last human being I would want making any decisions about me at all, ever, Mm -hmm. really. Once I turned 18, that was over. So um, imagine that, especially if you're someone who's estranged. Now, uh, if my mom was no longer alive, they would call my sisters. Well, I don't talk to my sisters either. I don't want either of them making decisions for me, Mm -hmm. right? They don't know me well enough to know what I need and I want. That's why those power of attorneys are so important, that you get to choose the people instead of the government making the choice for you, right? Mm -hmm. The same goes with the estate plan in terms of after you've died, right? is I don't know about you, Chris, but I'm working to acquire wealth. And I am my goal is to leave something for my children, mm-hmm. right? So if I don't do that, I leave it to the government to decide how my assets are distributed. Well, in Texas, if I go get remarried, Chris, and I purchase property with my new spouse, it's a community property state. Mm-hmm. So we'll own that as community property, but my kids are my kids and his kids are his kids. Right. So then what happens when we pass away? Well, if he dies before me, as he should statistically, I inherit half of his community property and his kids get 25%. So now I co-own my house with his kids. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm at an age where I didn't help raise those children. Right. So they're not right. my kids. They're someone else's kids. They're other adults. And surely I I love them because I love him, but they're not my kids. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I got to co-own something with them. I don't know about you, but that is not acceptable to me. Right. So having a proper estate plan helps prevent that. Right. It helps dictate, okay, here's what's going to happen. If if he dies first, this happens. If I die first, this happens. And we can dictate the terms of those things. And that way we can both ensure 
that our children are getting the share they deserve, but that while we're standing, we're not disturbed by them and their drama. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's avoiding those unintended consequences that you're either aware of or not aware of. And you would have a lot of regret or maybe disdain if it turned out that way. Absolutely. Um, and you can do that with estate planning. You can be very specific in those areas. Or you can let the government dictate it if you don't have yeah. estate. Yeah. And that is a surefire way to start a fight amongst the people who survived. Right. It's already tough enough um, when there's money involved, even if you have an estate plan in place, if people feel slighted or it like it wasn't fair. Yeah, it's. I've seen 10 children fight like like they're getting rich over a piece of land that's worth $40,000. Yeah. So you're going to yeah. sue each other for $4,000. You're going to yeah. disintegrate your sibling relationship mm-hmm. for $4,000. Yeah. There was probably yeah. oil on the land. No, there was nothing. They just okay. thought they were getting rich. They thought, okay. you know, oh, this, right. I'm getting rich. Mom left this for me. I'm rich now. That That is yeah. not how it works, folks. Right. Okay. So t- maybe you can touch on one of your more uh, recent client experiences where you had a really good outcome or it was very satisfying for you and in, in a way that you, the way that you helped them. Well, anytime I win, I'm very satisfied. Okay. <laughs> Since I don't like to take losing cases, I'm almost always winning. I very mm-hmm. uh, rarely lose. I'm most satisfied when I represent the little guy or the regular person and I go up against Goliath. Mm-hmm. So the government or a lender or, you know, whatever. And then I am able to perform as David did and take down the giant, you know, with whatever one. And then I almost always wear skirts. So I do that in a skirt. That's very satisfying to me. Okay. All right. So outside of your practice, is there something that you're really passionate about? Yeah. My kids. I think think that got established really easy early on. I love nature. I love to travel. I love to do those things, but I usually love to do them with my kids. With family. Yeah. So really, you know, my son is 17, so he's about to transition out of the yeah, house. And I'm right. at the point like, how is my life going to shape? Mm-hmm. Because for the last 17 years, I've done like my kids have been my hobby. You know, mm-hmm. like, what do you do mm-hmm. after work? Hang out with your kids. Right. So I'm at an interesting point in my life where I'm going to see like, what what does this what do you do? You know, and I'm actually kind of excited about that. It's like a new phase. You know? Yeah. The unknown, but you can face it with some some hope. Oh, totally. And some confidence. And I'm, excited, I'm excited to see the the work product. You know, mm-hmm. how did I do as a parent? Let me see how he does as an adult in this world. Right. Uh, because I feel that that is a, a direct reflection, at least at this young age. That's a direct reflection. You know, when he's 40, it's kind of uh, too far gone. But, right. um, you know, so I'm interested in in seeing that. Cool. I like it. All right. So let's shift back. Uh, I have a few questions left from a business standpoint. When you look at the landscape and where you are with your business, is there an opportunity that you see or maybe the biggest opportunity that you can see on the horizon for your business and where it's going? Oh, yeah. I have huge plans for my business. I have huge plans. So I don't want to get too much into it, but I've had this quite a while and okay. I'm executing on them. Uh, I just hired an associate, which was a, a really big part of being able to go execute on these other plans. So okay. that she, 
manage a lot of the legal work and I can focus on this business development. Okay. So yes, absolutely. I am the kind of person that has to have goals and has to have plans. After I graduated law school, I went to work for AT&T and I was hopelessly lost. I had achieved my goal of becoming an attorney and being licensed. And that was like, had always been the goal. And I hadn't really set much by way of goals after that. Right. And so I went through this like whole thing and it was just because I didn't have, you know, new goals. So I learned from that experience that I always have to have goals, period, and a story, even if that goal is just that I want to retire at 70 as opposed to 79 or 80. Okay. I like it. Goals, goals are good. And if you write them down, we've got a higher propensity for them to get achieved. All right. So on the flip side of that, Lauren, what would you say is your biggest challenge in the business right now? An obstacle that needs to be overcome, an impediment for growth, something like that? I think it's probably what a, a lot of businesses are, are going through right now. And that's finding talent, okay. retaining talent, and then the talent actually paying attention to and using the processes and procedures I've put into place. Because man, I have broken my back to put in these procedures and boy, do people want to ignore them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's really it, you know, herding cats. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So finding and retaining talent. I think that's a common thread I'm seeing with a lot of people that I have on the show is finding good people and then have, and then them staying on. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So if people want to learn more about you or they want to contact you, What's the best way for them to do that? So the best way to contact the firm is to call us at 972-845-1200. If we do not answer, which happens, because like I said, it's hard to retain good talent. Let us call you back. Leave a voicemail and we will call you back. I promise. Okay. Okay. Then you can check out our website, which is www.cadillaclaw.net. And Cadillac Law is spelled with one L, C-A-D-I-L-A-C-L-A-W. And it is a .NET website. .com takes you to the same place, but our emails are .NET. So I always always use that. Okay. Um, And finally, I have a YouTube channel Mm. where I talk extensively about legal issues. I get into the nitty gritty, but I don't usually take more than five to 10 minutes in doing it. And I translate it into normal people language. So. If you're interested in learning in normal people terms, these legal concepts about real estate and estate planning for the state of Texas, I'm sure you can watch them and glean information for Florida and glean information for other places, but these are Texas specific because that is where I'm licensed and where I practice. All you have to do is go to YouTube and type in that same thing, C-A-D-I-L-A-C-L-A-W, Cadillac Law. Okay. Yeah, I watched a couple of those in preparation and those were very informative and just the right amount of time. So perfect. Oh, good. Kudos on that, Lauren. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Lauren, thank you. I wanna I wanna thank you, you know, from the bottom of my heart for being here. This was very informative and I appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us and also your your personality. Um, and I want to thank everybody for listening and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors where we are hoping to raise the everyday confidence of people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks everybody for tuning in, listening, watching. Be well, take care. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.